find us um, if you want to help with any of that in a small capacity or a large capacity, whatever works for you. But thank you. Can we give Roy Ann and Warren and that whole team, particularly those two, one more hand? Your work does not, does not go unnoticed. If they did not do their work, it would very much go noticed. So uh, very appreciative to them. So uh, many of you know that I'm an early riser. I wake up quite early, basically every morning throughout the week. Um, and usually that's the time when before the, the kids wake up and like the craziness ensues at 7 a.m. I'm able to have a little bit of downtime. Uh, often that's my reading time and my time to go out for a run or to exercise. However, there's one day a week where that's not the first thing that I do. On Wednesdays, at least over the last couple months, my Wednesday morning thing has been waking up early so that I could watch the new Star Wars show. Yeah, the new Star Wars show on Disney Plus is called Andor. Unless you are a, a diehard Star Wars fan, you may not have even heard of this show before. Who, who has heard of this show at least? Yeah, just a, just a handful of you. Okay. <laughs> so it, the thing about Andor is you haven't heard about it because there hasn't been as much marketing behind it. That's part of it. It's also just less popular because of like very specific parameters around the show. It's not big like The Mandalorian or even Book of Boba Fett or, or, or something like that. Um, and the, there's a few different reasons why that might be the case. One is because marketing, it hasn't been pushed as much. A, a part of the reason why they haven't done marketing as much is because it's not for kids. Kids could maybe watch it, but it's very clearly meant for adults. Um, there, are, there are not space wizards with laser swords. <laughs> maybe fewer people want, want that. Um, it, there, there's not a little baby green alien. Uh, it's also not toyetic. You know what toyetic means? Toyetic means it's really easy to sell toys. It's very clearly not a show made simply to sell toys. Paw Patrol, it, like the reason that show exists is to sell toys. I'm <laughs> completely convinced. Andor is not that whatsoever. It is not toyetic. Um, and in some ways, it's actually really, the, the reason why I think it might be less popular than some of these other shows, either Star Wars shows or otherwise, is it's kind of hard to watch. It is very real and very raw about the experience of, of a normal person living under the threat of empire. It's the story of a, of a, um, of a refugee, uh, of someone who was abandoned, of someone who was caught up in the machinery of, of a, a fascist empire, um, of someone who is experiencing grief and loss and anguish and sadness and that's pretty difficult to watch and yet if if you are willing to bear witness to it if you're willing to dig into it and and acknowledge what's going on that grief and sadness and anguish can actually be a really powerful thing to witness so as we talked about earlier we are in the middle of this series we kicked off last week called atlas of the heart 
this is a series that's based on the book by Brené Brown, and the, the theme of this series is that we are trying to pay attention to our big feelings. We're trying to, to acknowledge our emotions as people of faith and as human beings, say, rather than just pushing them off or, or pretending that they don't exist, maybe what we can do is we can acknowledge our big feelings. We can notice them. And having noticed them, we can maybe make meaning of those big feelings. And having noticed them and, and making meaning of those big feelings, maybe then we can start to navigate life with them. We become map makers, and we can observe other map makers who are saying, how can we make sense of the world and plot it in order to navigate it rather than simply ignoring it? And in order to get at doing some of that as people of faith, what we're doing is we're looking at the Psalms. Psalms is a book in our Old Testament that is a, a book of poetry and songs, and yet it's also a book full of people who are map makers. They are, we're watching these, these normal people 2,000 years ago live trying to notice and make sense of and navigate their big feelings as they come about. And so last week we, we talked about the big bucket of, um, of disconnection, of isolation, and of loneliness. And this week we are talking about grief and sadness and anguish. And again, to do that, we're going to the book of Psalms, and today we're going to be looking at Psalm 88. And I just want to acknowledge that Psalm 88 is perhaps the most hard to look at. There is actually a movement, and there have been several movements within not only the Christian tradition, but within the Jewish tradition to cut out Psalm 88, to completely remove it from the text and the use within the, the church. And yet, I think the same thing that is true of Andor is true of Psalm 88. It is difficult to look at grief and sadness and anguish in the face, and yet if we do so, it's not only difficult to do, but it can be powerful to do. So, we're going to look at Psalm 88 and break it down a bit. O Lord God, who delivers me, Day by day I cry out, and at night I pray before you. Listen to my prayer. Pay attention to my cry for help. For my life is filled with troubles, and I am ready to enter Sheol. They treat me like those who descend into the grave. I am a helpless man, adrift among the dead, like corpses lying in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your power. You place me in the lowest regions of the pit, in the dark places, in the watery depths. Your anger bears down on me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. You cause those who know me to keep their distance. You make me an appalling sight to them. I am trapped and cannot get free. My eyes grow weak because of oppression. I call out to you, O Lord, all day long. I spread out my hands in prayer to you. Do you accomplish amazing things for the dead? Do the departed spirits rise up and give you thanks? Selah. Is your loyal love, Hesed, proclaimed in the grave, or your faithfulness in the place of the dead? Are your amazing deeds experienced in the dark region, or your deliverance in the land of the oblivion? As for me, I cry out to you, O Lord, in the morning. My prayer confronts you, 
Oh Lord, why do you reject me and pay no attention to me? I am oppressed and have been on the verge of death since my youth. I've been subjected to your horrors and am numb with pain. Your anger overwhelms me. Your terrors destroy me. They surround me like water all day long. They join forces and encircle me. You cause my friends and neighbors to keep their distance. Those who know me leave me alone in the darkness. End. So Psalm 88 in some ways is very familiar and in many other ways is also very unfamiliar. On the one hand, it's familiar because it is one of these psalms that's known as a psalm of lament. There's several different psalms of lament that you can find in the book of Psalms. In fact, uh, Psalm 88 is surrounded by, kind of bookended by, a couple other songs of lament. These are psalms in which, like, they're acknowledging the, the realness, the heaviness of life. Uh, even that word selah, which was plugged in there a couple of times, um, this is a word that's like plugged in specifically often into these lament psalms. It's supposed to be a break in the text where it means like pause, reflect, think about what you are experiencing as you read or as you hear this. And, and so in many ways, Psalm 88 is just another one of these psalms that you would expect when you're reading something about lament. But on the other hand, uh, Psalm 88 is wholly different and wholly unfamiliar for a few different reasons. The first one is voice. Uh, there is a single voice that is speaking in this psalm. Uh, a lot of times in other psalms, even and especially in Psalms of Lament, you hear one person talking in one direction, and then maybe that same person starts talking to a second person, or there's an interjection later where there's a conversation that's going on between multiple people, and the one who starts is then switching direction to another part of the conversation in order to explain what they're dealing with. So lament, another lament psalm might be one person saying, things are really bad, and God is really bad. Oh, but you need to know that God isn't actually that bad. There is one voice in Psalm 88, it is this one person, this one psalmist, who's speaking directly to God. It is a one-sided conversation where the psalmist is calling out God, acknowledging all the bad things that are happening, and saying, God, you are to blame for this. One voice. It's not typical to the other psalms. The second thing that's unique about Psalm 80 is the actual content, which is pretty dark. Even the imagery is, is really dark here. Um, from the get-go, he talks about being a shade. Shade is almost like a ghost. He's not dead, but he kind of feels like he's dead. The, the grief and the sadness and the anguish is so overwhelming that he just kind of feels like he's floating through life. Everybody else is moving around through life normally, but he's just floating through, and nobody's able to take notice of him. Nobody's able to, to take notice of what he is experiencing, the grief, the sadness, and the anguish. And God's to blame for that, he says. God has thrown him down into the pits, into the darkness, into Sheol. Sheol is this Hebrew term which kind of refers to 
in, in theology and cosmology, Sheol is the place below where we as humans are living. It is the place where the dead go. And uh, 2,000 years later, as, as Christians, we might say, okay, well, if nothing else, in death we know that we are going to, to be with God. That is not the understanding of this psalmist. That is not the understanding of the theology and the cosmology at the time. Sheol was hell. Literally, it's translated in, in many places as hell. And so to die is to go to this region, go to this place, go to this existence where God has no presence and God has no influence. The experience of this man going through life with this grief and sadness is angu in, and anguish is going through hell on earth. And it is leading to isolation from God, but also to other people. This grief is making him disconnected from other people, which is making him feel even more grief, more sadness, and more anguish, which is making him feel more isolated, and it's just going in this nasty circle, which he feels like he cannot possibly get out of, isolated from God and isolated from other people as a part of his grief and sadness. And anguish. Uh, this, this book that has become really popular over the last several years, especially post-pandemic, uh, written by Basil Von Kolk. I think this is how you pronounce his name. Uh, the book is called The Body Keeps the Score. Have any of you heard of this book? More of you than have heard of Andor. All right. Uh, so The Body Keeps the Score. This is the psychologist who, is, who has spent decades trying to study how our, our bodies, our brains try to manage trauma. And what they do is our brains convince us how to move forward, but the impacts on our bodies remain, whether we pay attention to them or not. And so uh, Van der Kolk writes about the impact on, on our bodies that trauma has, and this is, this is what he says. You're gonna have to skip ahead. I got this, I got them out of order. Isolation. Maybe I didn't get it. Trauma, there we go. Thank you, Robin, that's all on me. The essence of trauma is feeling God-forsaken cut off from the human race. Someone who is experiencing trauma, who has experienced trauma, their mind has figured out how to deal with it while their body has not, and the essence of that trauma, of that, that experience of pain and, and loss and grief and sadness is to feel God-forsaken, cut off from the human race, like what the psalmist is trying to say here. It's a wicked cycle goes over and over and over again as if you can't possibly get out of it. So those are the first two things that make the Psalm 88 unique. The third thing, though, is the resolution. Because there is no resolution. There is no bow that gets put on the end here. And as that single voice gets shared, as, as this psalmist is writing about his experience of Greece and grief and sadness, and anguish, and loss. Uh, uh, there is no, yes, but it's all going to be okay. 
yes, that's bad, but, but, but God is great. Most of these other lament psalms have at least a tag on the end that kind of tries to put a bow on it. That doesn't happen here. The psalmist has no time for that. It's almost as if he's not actually looking for resolution. It's almost as if he's wanting to introduce people into his experience of of, uh, loss and pain and grief and sadness simply because he wants other people to take notice of it, to join him in it, to bear with him and help him in that experience of God forsakenness. Not because he needs everything to be okay, not because he wants everything to be resolved, but because he wants other people to bear witness to it as well. Uh, in the book Atlas uh, of the Heart, Brene Brown refers to this interview that she did with a grief expert named David Kessler, and this is what he said on her podcast. Each person's grief is, is as unique as their fingerprint But what everyone has in common is that no matter how they grieve, they share a need for their grief to be witnessed. That doesn't mean needing someone to try to lessen it or reframe it for them. The need is for someone to be fully present to the magnitude of their loss without trying to point out the silver lining. Not trying to resolve it all. The history of this psalm is people trying to resolve it all. Again, like I said, some of the biggest names in church history have tried to get rid of this psalm because they thought that it was inappropriate to talk this way. They thought that it was inappropriate to talk about God in this way. And you know what I think of that? That is garbage. Instead, this is a prime opportunity for doing exactly what we have been saying we want to do in this series. It is a prime opportunity for us to notice our grief and sadness and anguish, for us to then make meaning of it, and then to try to navigate what life like, might look like on the other side. And to acknowledge that, to be real about the rawness of life and of grief is not an an act that is inappropriate. It's not inappropriate to say things uh, about God or to God like this. And in fact, I would argue it is an act of faithfulness. It's an act of faithfulness to ourselves and to God. Just this past week, I, I talked with somebody about the importance of fighting in marriage. It sounds weird. But when you fight in marriage, what it means is that you are continuing to be in the conversation together. It means that you haven't given up on one another. It means that there's something worth fighting about and fighting for. So when it comes to the relationship between God and us as humans, or between us and each other, this is an act of faithfulness to be able to stay engaged in the conversation because God can handle it, and we can handle it. Returning once more to The Body Keeps a Score, um, it's kind of a dense book, and there's, there's lots of different points at which Vander Kolk refers to very clinical types of things. This is how trauma arrives, uh, this is how you, you um, deal with trauma, how you navigate trauma, 
And yet, with all of these different clinical things that he lays out, you know what he says? The number one, the most important thing to avoid trauma and to treat trauma is? Relationships. Relationships. Not drugs. Not, not therapy. The, the number one intervention, not those other things, not to acknowledge the, or not to not acknowledge, double negative, the, those other things are important, and he goes to chapters outlining the different approaches that you can take. But the number one thing he says is relationships. Study after study shows that having a good support network constitutes the single most powerful protection against becoming traumatized. Safety and terror are incompatible when we are terrified nothing calms us down like a reassuring voice or the firm embrace of someone we trust. What if the church could be like that? What if the church could be a place where we could create space to acknowledge, to notice, to make meaning of, and to navigate trauma and grief and sadness and anguish? What if the church was not the happiest place in town, but could be the most honest place in town? What if we could be people who, who made space like that? Well, good thing you're here, because that's what we're trying to do. Um, and, and that's really what today is about, too. Um, in, in the church calendar, in, in the church tradition, um, this week, or the, there's a point in this week, which is often referred to as All Saints Day. It's actually on November 1st. Usually it gets celebrated in the church on the Sunday after November 1st, but we're going to do it before November 1st. All Saints Day traditionally has been this day in which you acknowledge the people who come before you. Uh, sometimes that has been acknowledging the saints, like the, the, the actual sainted people who have come before us. But it's also an opportunity for us to acknowledge the, the people in our lives who have gone before us and that we have lost. My guess is that there's been a whole lot of loss over the last year or the last couple years for you. And so what, what we're wanting to do this morning is to be able to notice and make meaning of and start to navigate what that loss might be for us individually and for us as a church. So in just a moment, we're going um, to have Melinda come up here and read uh, something that she's put together that, that talks about the experience of grief and sadness and anguish. And then we're actually going to give you the opportunity. We have another song immediately after that where you're going to get the opportunity to come up here and, um, and to light a candle. And as you light the candle, it can be an acknowledgement of loss that you have experienced in your life. It might be a specific person, specific situation. Um, it's an opportunity for you to light the candle and to be able to notice, make meaning of, and start to navigate this life going forward. As we do this, once again, I simply want to acknowledge that God can handle this, that you can handle this, and that we can handle this together. So, may that be so. Love, Melinda. Melinda.